right. Good afternoon and welcome back to Intrepid Radio. I am your host, Todd Schnick. Have a repeat guest on the show today. The last time I spoke with this gentleman on the show was when he was pushing his his last book. He's got a new one out that I'm really excited about. Really looking forward to getting into it. So say hello to Todd Henry. He's the founder of Accidental Creative and a best-selling author. Welcome back, Todd. Todd, thanks. It's great to be here on the show, and we'll have to get this Todd Todd thing figured out before the end of our interview. You know, we'll figure it out. Uh, you know, the funny thing is, Todd, is that my business partner is also named Todd, and so when we're uh, <laughs> when we're doing all of our podcasting shows for all of our clients, we have a heck of a time with that, and our clients. You know, uh, they get a kick out of it too. So uh, it's I'm, funny because it's not like one of those names. Like, I mean, I love people named Mark, right? But like Mark, I could kind of see, or David, I can kind of see. But Todd is such an unusual name, and we have three of them in the same cir- circumstance here. It's amazing. It's a small world, I suppose. <laughs> uh, so I'm proud of the name. So uh, we'll go from there. Todd, before we get into the, uh, a conversation around the new book, take a a few seconds and tell us a little bit about you and your background. Sure, yeah. So um, I have a company called Accidental Creative, and we help creative individuals and teams generate better ideas or do brilliant work every day. And the way that we do that is by working with them to develop systems and practices that help them deal with the pressure of what I call the create-on-demand world, which means having to go to work every day and come up with ideas and do brilliant work consistently over time. And that introduces a unique set of uh, pressures and issues in the in the workplace, in the modern workplace. And so we help companies sort through those issues and figure out the best way to approach their work so that they're more effective. Outstanding. And do a quick uh, synopsis of your first, first book, The Accidental Creative. That was a great read, too. Yeah, so The Accidental Creative deals deals with a lot of what I, I just described, the idea that we have to go to work every day and, and generate ideas at a moment's notice. Many of us have to do that in order to be effective. And again, that creates a unique set of pressures for us. We have to deal with uh, the uncertainty, the crushing uncertainty of making it up as we go, or as uh, some people call it, having figure it out jobs, which is what most of us have today. And so um, in the book, The Accidental Creative, I pr- proposed five key areas where you need to build practices to make you more effective every day. And those five areas are focus, which is how you define your work. It's impossible to you know, solve a problem you haven't defined effectively. Focus, relationships, staying connected to others and building practices to help you stay inspired and fresh. Energy, which is making sure that you're not just putting your time in the right place, but you're also preserving and managing your energy for your most important work. And again, give some practices for that as well. Stimuli, which are the things that go into your head and uh, inspire you and become the raw fodder for your creative process. You know, we have to be purposeful about curating those stimuli that go into our head. And then finally, hours, which is where we put our time and not falling prey to the efficiency mindset with regard to our time, but but leveraging it for effectiveness uh, as well. So those are the five key areas that I, I covered in the accidental creative, um, focus relationships, energy stimuli, hours. Those five areas, Todd, that's really where we need to focus if we want to be effective on a daily basis at coming up with ideas. But Die Empty kind of starts right where that left off and asks, okay, great, you're, you're generating great ideas, but are you bending your work around things that matter to you or are you just being carried along by your work? And that's really the territory that I wanted to cover with Die Empty. Yeah, well, the new book is Die Empty, Unleash Your Best Work Every Day. Now, now, Todd, I've you and I have been connected for ah, probably a couple of years now. We did a small project together. I have been a longtime fan of your podcast. And so when I first heard this title, Die Empty, 
it was really clear to me exactly what you meant by that. But uh, what exactly, to those who maybe aren't as familiar with you as I am, what do you mean by dying empty? Yeah, it's a, it's a nice sunshiny title, isn't it? Die empty. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the, the idea is this, and, and it really came out of a, a meeting that I was in several years ago. And, and I tell this story at the end of The Accidental Creative. It makes kind of a nice segue into the new book. Um, a friend was leading a meeting and he asked a question to all of us who were in the meeting. He said, what do you think is the most valuable land in the world? And we're all sitting around thinking, I don't know. Uh, gold mines of South Africa, wrong. Oil fields of the Middle East, wrong. So finally, he said, the most valuable land in the world, I think, is the graveyard, because in the graveyard are buried all of the unlaunched businesses, all of the uh, unexecuted ideas, all of the unreconciled relationships, all of this tremendous value, the unwritten novels, right? All this tremendous value that people took to their grave with them because they didn't do everything they could to get their best work out of them every day. So I went home that day. I wrote two words on a note card. I put them on my wall. I put them in my notebook. And those two words were die empty. Uh, I wanted those to be the defining ethic of my life because I want to know when I lay my head down tonight, I haven't left anything inside of me that I should have done today. Now, that doesn't mean that I work myself exhausted every day, but what it means is that I put my four finite resources, my focus, my assets, my time, and my energy, I put those four things into my work in a way that I will be proud of later and, and in such a way that over the course of time, I'm building a body of work that I can be proud of. And we're building that body of work, Todd, whether we realize it or not. Every single day, we are building a body of work. And the, the question that we have to face is, is the body of work that we're currently building one that we can point to later with pride or are we just being carried along by our work each day? Well, I love the the tie-in to the graveyard as as the most valuable turf on the earth. It makes a lot of sense when you think about it. Todd, what is the underlying cultural problem? And I'm talking in business and in, in just the normal run of life that makes this book necessary. I mean, what, what what's going on out there? Why do so many people die full of ideas that, that were never hatched? Well, I think I think that there are several reasons, and I, I tried to identify these in the book, and there there are really seven of them. If you don't mind, I'll just I'll go into oh, them please briefly. Do. They they uh, I put them in order A B C D E F G. They're not in any particular order, but I just wanted them to be uh, more memorable. Uh, different words obviously came out in the course of the research, but uh, you know just to make them memorable. So A B C D E F G A is for aimlessness. Aimlessness is when we don't have a defined through line for our work. When we're doing a bunch of tasks, we're doing a bunch of projects, but it doesn't all fit together into a cohesive why. So it's really difficult to gain traction or measure progress when we when we feel aimless in our work, when we don't have a through line. Um, and that's one thing that causes people to become stagnant or to settle into to mediocrity. B is for boredom. Um, you know, there are many people, a class of people actually, that I call the busily bored. These are the people who are very busy, they're doing a lot of work, they're, they're very mentally active, but they're bored silly because they're not challenging themselves, they're not pursuing their curiosity, and they're not leveraging their, their mind to its fullest. So we have to keep our, we keep, have to keep stoking the fires of our imagination and our curiosity if we want to avoid stagnancy and mediocrity. C is for comfort. You know, in the accidental creative, Todd, I wrote that the love of comfort is frequently the enemy of greatness. And I believe that's absolutely true. If you want to do great work over time, you at some point will have to choose brilliant work 
at the expense of your comfort. You cannot pursue comfort and great work simultaneously. They're mutually exclusive objectives. And brilliant work, brilliant bodies of work are built over time by people who consistently choose to do the right thing in spite of the fact it's the uncomfortable thing. And there's nothing wrong with comfort, by the way, as a byproduct of your work. There's nothing wrong with having things and having you know income that is uh, commensurate with the amount of value you add and all that. There's nothing wrong with that. But you cannot make those byproducts your chief aim if you want to build a body of work that you can be proud of, eventually you will have to settle for either comfort or doing great work. Um, D is for delusion. Uh, this is when we're living with a narrative that is defining our engagement that maybe isn't a, a true narrative. It's one that that is causing us to think about ourselves in a way that we shouldn't, um, whether that means uh, escalating our abilities or um, sometimes deflating our abilities. Um, it can also mean um, living with a false understanding of reality. We delude ourselves. We would rather live with the sense of vulnerability then take chances and prove ourselves to be wrong. We have to be careful to know ourselves well if we want to be effective over the long term. E is for ego. And uh, of course, you don't struggle with this, Todd. I don't struggle with ego. None of our listeners struggle with it. But ego is one of the forces that can really take us down in our effort to do great work because ego makes us inflexible. And by the way, ego doesn't mean the typical bombast bursting into the room and saying, look at me, look at me, look how great I am. Ego can look like oh, okay, fine, you're not going to use my idea, then I'm going to go over here in the corner and you're not going to get my best work. It can be playing the victim. That's a form of ego because you're allowing somebody else to control your engagement. You're saying, I believe that my own needs are more important than the great work that we're trying to do as an organization. So that's ego. F is for fear. Fear is when the perceived consequences of failure outweigh the perceived benefits of success. And so it causes us to shrink back, to hide in a corner, um, and, and refuse to take those small strategic risks we need to take in order to do our best work and to find our voice. A friend, a friend of mine, Thad Cockrell, says we have to be willing to walk into dark rooms and turn the light switch on. And we don't know what's waiting in there for us, but unless we're willing to walk into those dark rooms and explore new opportunities, then we're never going to get our best work out of us every day. Um, and then finally, uh, G is for guardedness. And this is when we become closed off to others. And this happens to organizations, it happens to individuals. Over the course of time, as we get more and more successful, eventually we start to look inward instead of staying connected to others. And we begin to tell ourselves stories instead of having mirrors in our life to reflect back what reality is to us. Uh, we become closed off. And none of us are, are wired to function alone. Innovation is the collective grasp for the next. So we have to stay connected with others and continue uh, stumbling awkwardly into the unknown together if we want to do great work. So those are the seven, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, aimlessness, boredom, comfort, delusion, ego, fear, and guardedness. I call them the seven deadly sins that lead to mediocrity. And we have to stay alert for them or we will inevitably find ourselves in a place of stagnancy in our pursuit of great work. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I love the idea of defining a lot of people as busily bored. Mm. I think that's a great way to look at it. And Tom, let me ask you this question. Do you think that these people who we would classify as busily bored, do they know? I mean, they would probably answer, well, are you doing great work? I, I fear that a lot of them might say, oh, yeah, I'm doing important work, but but I don't know that that's true. What, what, I mean, do you think people are aware of this? I mean, is there something nagging at them at their core and they know they're not? Or do are there some people who are believing that the, the, the busy, mindless stuff that, that you have to, you know, it's the, it's the grind, you know, that, the, the stuff that has to happen 
But too many people, I think, fall into the trap believing that that's important work. Yeah, well, I, I would say, first of all, I would say that, that I don't really get to judge that. <laughs> I don't yeah. get to judge whether your work is important. Um, if it's important to you, then it's important. And the question really is more about, are you really bringing yourself fully to what's in front of you? So it's it's less about the uh, quality judgment of the, the nature of your work and more about, are you really bringing yourself fully to what's what's there in front of you and are you simultaneously pursuing self-knowledge with a vigor so that uh, you can you know so that you can make sure that you're not deluding yourself into thinking my work is important and we, we all know those people who build little fiefdoms within organizations and ego begins to rule the day and they convince themselves that the 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 thing that they're working on is the most important thing in the history of humanity at the expense of relationships at the expense of anything else and you know, we've all known those people. I, you know, at various points in time, I probably have been one of those people inside of organizations. You know, that again, it's a form of, in some ways, it's a form of ego. It's a form of um, putting yourself ahead of the the needs of the organization or ahead of the work. What we have to figure out is the work that we are. And, and I'm going to use a word that's very polarizing, the work that we are passionate about. But I don't mean passion the way that we tend to toss around the word passion. The word passion, um, the, the way we use it, tends to mean anything that makes me feel joyful or anything that gives me a sense of excitement or ecstasy when I'm, when I'm doing it, right? So if, I'm, if I use the word passion in our contemporary cultural context, it means that I am in a state of eternal bliss when I am doing something. But the word passion in its original context and its original meaning means to suffer. The root word means to suffer. We have to ask ourselves, what work am I willing to suffer on behalf of every day? Am I willing to put myself on the line for? What do I care about so much that I'm willing to put myself on the line for? So by the way, work doesn't just mean your job. It could be your family. It could be your relationships. It could be anything that you care about passionately. So when you say, well, will you, if you ask me, will you put yourself on the line? Will you suffer on behalf of your family? Absolutely. Any of us who are parents, we know that it can be a form of suffering, right? Because, I mean, it's a lot of work to be a parent. I mean, the same thing with, you know, marriage or the same thing with any kind of relationship that we're in. Um, and in the same way, your work um, that, that you're engaged in, your job that you're engaged in every day, you have to ask yourself, what work am I willing to suffer for? What am I passionate about to the extent that I'm willing to put myself on the line for it? Um, because that's a great clue for the kind of work that you probably should be focusing on. See, that's my biggest concern, Todd, is you know, what work am I willing uh, to, to suffer for? Because, I mean, you've said don't die with your best work still inside you. What do you say to the person who, I mean, I, I fear that a lot of people don't know what that is. And maybe this book isn't for that person. Uh, maybe, maybe this book is targeted to someone who's got that work inside or that, that, that passion that, that does drive them and, and that they would suffer for. And they're, and they're, they're not living a life that, that enables them to pursue that. Uh, I mean, I just, I, just, I just stumble upon too many people, Todd, who, who don't know what their purpose is in life is. Yeah, and I, I would say that um, it, it's not. First of all, you you will hope. I hope that I never come to a place where I feel like I understand what I'm supposed to be doing on this earth, because I hope that that's a continual progression. Um, I believe that your sweet spot, the place where you are maximally effective, evolves over time, and um, that it develops over time, like a photograph in in a in a uh, a dark room. 
you know, not that any of us remember what those are, but you know, a photograph <laughs> in a dark room, you know, you start to see little details here and there as you pay attention. And then over time, a, a photo takes shape and you can see the whole photo. It's the same way with our sweet spot. We're not going to come out of the gate knowing where we should be. We only figure that out as we act, as we notice, and as we redirect. Kierkegaard said, decisions part the fog on stagnant waters. Cowardice kills us. When we make decisions, we are choosing to move in a direction. And as we choose to move in that direction, it parts the fog because uh, from a distance, it looks like, well, I don't know which way to go. But as we act, we can redirect from, from wherever we are. So the key thing is to act and then to observe on a daily basis. And that's why I put so many checkpoints in the book. You know, ask yourself questions about what you see, about where you seem to be most effective, where you seem to be least effective. What are the, th the things that you tend to do that are obvious to you that other people look at and say, that's brilliant. And you say, that's not brilliant, that's obvious. Well, to other people, it, it's brilliant. To you, it's obvious. So those are great clues along the way about you know, I mean, I, I once upon a time, I was not a person who went out and taught companies about the creative process or wrote books. That was something that I discovered over time as I as I acted within the context of organizations. I realized other people kept coming up to me and saying, wow, this is really good. And I would say, that's not good. That's just obvious. And they say, well, it's obvious to you, right? It's that Derek Sivers thing. He He had the same experience. He wrote about this, the founder of CD Baby, how for, for many years, he used to think there were all these brilliant people out there, and then there were just average people, um, until one day somebody wrote to him and said, wow, what you're writing is so profound. And he said, it's not profound, it's just obvious. And they said, well, it's not obvious to me. And he realized every one of us has that thing inside of us that is unique to us. It's a unique perspective. But we don't get there, we don't figure out what that is by sitting around and thinking about it. We figure it out by acting, noticing, and then redirecting. Well, I think one of the clues and one of the keys to, quote, figuring it out is something else you've said that we have to be fiercely curious. Yes. Talk about that some more. Yeah, so there are two two specific kinds of curiosity. There's trait curiosity and, and state curiosity. Um, or, or specifically, there's... there's um, like topic specific curiosity, which is I'm going to pursue a, a topic because I'm intensely interested in that topic. And then there's a kind of state curiosity, which is I'm just intensely curious and I'm asking questions all the time anyway. And I think it's important for us to stoke both of those, but some people are just more naturally curious in, in who they are. Right. So some people, like for example, I used to drive people crazy when I was in a work context because I was always asking why. Why are we doing this? Why is this important? And people would say, Can you just shut up and just do the thing? <laughs> Stop asking. Well, I'm just a naturally curious person. I, it's not that I, I, I don't respect that this is a good decision. It's just I want to know why because it helps me do my work when I understand why we're doing it. Um, but then there's also the kind of curiosity that's about pursuing specific topics and paying attention to the things that pique your interest. And a lot of times, you know, as kids, we do that. I mean, as, you know, my, my kids are constantly finding a new topic to delve into and explore and read books about and all that. But as we become older and we have more responsibilities and all these things, um, we, can, we can lose that sense of wonder and curiosity. So we have to make sure that we're immersing our minds in interesting stimuli, that we're pursuing topics of interest, that we're not allowing the gray matter between our ears to die, to wither and die, but instead that we're developing it and we're applying those curiosities and those questions to the work in front of us. Todd, uh, a common problem that I see, uh, not only in the people that I observe, but frankly with myself, 
is this idea of when I come across something that inspires me, that motivates me, that, that drives me to enthusiasm and action, not unlike what I suspect would occur if you were to read Die Empty. The problem then becomes you come out of the gate charging, but then the, the issue of sustaining that enthusiasm is a challenge for a lot of people. I, I think you talk about that in the I think you talk about that in the book as as how to how to sustain that enthusiasm. Share some ideas on that. Yeah, well, we have to recognize that this is a long arc game. Die empty doesn't mean getting every possible idea out of you and executing everything you ever want to do before the end of your life. That's not what the message of the book is. As a matter of fact, I hope that I die. And by the way, I hope that's very long time from now. I hope that I die with more ideas, ambitions, things that I want to do than I did the day before. I hope I'm getting better and better and better as I live. And that by the end of my life, I'm more ambitious. I have more ideas, more things I want to do when I die. But it's about not regretting where you choose to spend those finite resources. That's really what we're trying to do. So it's it's a long arc game. And you know, a lot of people think, oh, I have to do everything today. You're building a body of work today, yes. You're building a legacy today, yes. But that legacy is built one decision at a time. So the question isn't, um, can I scramble and get all of this done? So there are times to hustle, for sure, unquestionably. Um, you know, I believe that urgency and diligence are the foundations of hustle. And I think that hustle is the best antidote to lifelong regret, right? Because you never have to wonder what if. What if I had tried a little harder? What if I had hustled a little bit more? So I think there's a role for hustling in our work, unquestionably. But there's also a time to recognize that it's about building into yourself. It's about developing your capacities. It's about making sure that you're building into your relationships, um, that you're taking time to build rhythm into your life so that you can engage fully. It's not just about getting every ounce of energy out of you every day. It's about recognizing that brilliant bodies of work are built over the long term. And none of us get to choose our legacy. None of us do. Um, and yet we choose that legacy one decision at a time, but it will be assembled by others uh, looking back on our lives. And it's only at that point that it will become evident what we were doing all along. Outstanding. I think that's a great place to close this, Todd. Uh, before I let you go, how can people get in touch with you? Where can they learn about your work? And most importantly, where can they get their hands on Die Empty? <laughs> the best way to reach me is at toddhenry.com. That's T-O-D-D-H-E-N-R-Y.com. And uh, if you go to dieempty.com, you can learn more about the book and you can get to all the relevant bookstore uh, locations from there. Todd Henry, the author of Die Empty, Unleash Your Best Work Every Day. Todd, as always, it was great to connect. Thanks for making some time to join me. Todd, thanks so much for having me. All right. Well, that wraps this episode. On behalf of my guest, Todd Henry, I am Todd Schnick. We'll see you soon on Intrepid Radio. What you want? What you want? You've been listening to Intrepid Radio, hosted by me, Todd Schnick. You can find the show at intrepidradioshow.com. If you enjoyed the broadcast, kindly leave a rating and review on iTunes. Until next time, stay bold, and I'll see you soon on the Intrepid Radio Show. Intrepid Radio Show.